Nearly uh, 30 years or so ago, might have even been a little longer, Regina and I uh, went on a weekend Christian retreat called Curcio. Maybe some of you remember Curcio, have been to Curcio. And we went into the weekend not knowing what to expect as the organizers kept plans quiet and unknown until the experience unfolded. Elements of surprise are, are part of Curcio. And the weekend was filled with moments of reflection, joyful and meditative music, quiet times of prayer, and feeling incredibly loved and supported by this amazing Christian community of faith. Well, when the weekend uh, ended, we went back out in the world and it happened. We, after 15, 20 minutes or so on the road, it hit me very powerfully as I was looking around at people. The day in and day out life is far away from what we had just experienced in that loving Christian community. I said to Regina, I just can't believe the world is so disconnected from what we just experienced. And for the days that followed, I actually entered into just a short period of dark time and began to wonder whether or not God really has made any kind of difference in a very cold and hard culture. And the whole thing gave me just a snippet of what it's like to have a high peak experience of faith only to be followed by a deep valley of harshness. Back a few, de back a few decades, my 79-year-old dad shared the news. He had a tumor and the disease had spread. He seemed so healthy, so full of life. And when I first heard the news, I prayed. And when he got really sick, I prayed. And when he crawled across the floor because he couldn't walk, I prayed. And then I wrestled with God. I got mad at God. God didn't seem to do a thing. And in the midst of that time, I concluded that faith doesn't seem to make a difference when you really need it to. Well, I share these personal stories, and I certainly have many others like them, because they convey what sometimes happens when life happens and God seems to be nowhere around. Have any of you here today ever felt God's absence? Felt God was nowhere to be found, felt that God was a million miles away, that God does not answer calls, let alone prayers? Have you ever felt in the midst of a tough passage, felt bereft and abandoned by God or engaged in deep questioning? Have you ever been in a place in which the words of Scripture, which are meant to be sustaining, felt flat? Have you ever thought maybe this walk with Jesus is nice on paper? Well, if you've ever felt these things, as I have and so many others have, I have a diagnosis for you and for me. It's an important diagnosis because it can be helpful, especially if we learn to respond to it in a way that's healthy. And the diagnosis for you and for me, or for those of us that have felt some of what I just described, is that you and I are normal. We are normal. Because without exception, I cannot find among the great giants of faith, and I'm talking about the greatest saints, the greatest theologians, the greatest church leaders, those who have most powerfully and faithfully followed Jesus, who has not gone through a passage in which God felt absent with big-time questioning. Part of our walk with Jesus even those who are with him in person, in the flesh. 
Part of our walk with Jesus, I believe, is to experience some, if not all, of what I've described. It is normal and it is part of the way. Here are the experiences of just a few people in history. Phillips Brooks, the great preacher from Boston. One day a friend approached Phillips, who was normally very calm and cool and collected, and he said, what on earth is going on with you? You seem so out of sorts lately, Phillips. And Phillips looked at his friend and said, the trouble is I'm in a hurry and apparently God is not. And C.S. Lewis wrote, sometimes when you're happy and you're so happy, you have no sense of needing God. And when you're happy, if you remember to turn to God with gratitude and praise, you will feel welcomed with open arms. And this is what he wrote when his wife was dying. But go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. This is C.S. Lewis, who ended his life with great faith. Mother Teresa one day wrote the following, In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me, the one you have thrown away? When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convincing emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives that hurt my soul. And finally, there was St. John of the Cross. Not finally, because there are thousands of greats that went through this, but finally there was St. John of the Cross, a Spanish Christian mystic who long ago described all of what I'm talking about and more as the dark night. The dark night of the soul as it's come to be known. And such dark nights of the soul when God seems nowhere to be found, I believe, are part of what it means to be a human being, part of what it means to be flesh and blood, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This does not mean we stay in dark nights. Because none of those I quoted a moment ago stayed in their dark nights. But it means that when we're in such places, it's an invitation for each of us to say, okay, this is where I am, and this totally sucks. It's awful. But I know so many people of amazing faith have had this experience. History shows me that. This is part of the journey. This is part of following Jesus. Now I need to remember what this dark night is about what it is not about, and what I can do about it. And this week and next, that's what I'm going to get into. What it's about, what it's not, and what we can do about it. Well, to help us get started, let's turn to briefly to some stories from Scripture to further highlight what dark nights look like. Our first reading today, 1 Kings, we heard part of the story of the prophet Elijah. A man of amazing faith, but he had some rough spots. As we heard long ago, there was a king of Israel named Ahab, and simply put, Ahab was not a good dude at all. He was bad. And in response, God sends a drought and famine upon the land, and Elijah is told by God to tell Ahab that in its response to his lack of faithfulness that this bad thing is happening. Needless to say, Ahab is not very happy to hear that news. 
So as a result, Elijah runs and hides for about three years, the length of the drought. And after this, Elijah, through some divine events involving bonfires, kills a bunch of prophets who do not worship God. And Elijah once again takes off and goes into hiding. And one day, Elijah, who's afraid for his life, as we heard, because King Ahab wants to get him, is traveling alone in the wilderness. And he prays, God, I've had enough. I'm no better off than my dead ancestors. Now, key features of this story include being and feeling alone. Being in a wilderness, not only literally, but figuratively. Being afraid. Feeling done with it. And really wondering if there's any benefit to having a relationship with God at all. This is a wonderful description of Elijah's dark night. And then there's our reading from Mark's gospel. Jesus is hanging on the cross at about three in the afternoon, bleeding and dying, calls, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or why have you forsaken me? It reads in other versions. And at this moment on the cross, Jesus experiences utter separation from God and cries out words that are familiar to those of us in our lives who endured brutally tough stuff and felt abandoned. Said another way, the cross was how God in the flesh experienced a dark night of the soul. Now, before getting into some thoughts about how we might respond when we're in the thick of it, wondering where God is or if God's of any help, I think it's helpful to explore some of the reasons why dark nights of the soul happen to begin with. Now, there are a bunch of reasons. I'm going to get into a few. And the most important reason to share with you as to why dark nights happen to us the most important reason to keep in mind is I have no clue. <laughs> I, I just don't know. It's a mystery. There's no way, however, that any human being can completely grasp, describe, and understand God. It's not possible. I've always advised if someone says to you they totally get it, they have figured out everything about God and why God does what God does all the time. You tie your shoes and run as fast as you can in the other direction. <laughs> the writer Richard Rohr suggests, in essence, we have it right when we are humble before the mystery of our faith in Christ. In other words, having questions without answers is part of what it means to have faith. And we're not supposed to understand everything, nor can we. And I know that's not a very satisfying answer. While we struggle mightily, sometimes it's a mystery and we just don't know, there are other reasons worth considering that have been written about over the years. One person writes, and I've been thinking about this phrase for a number of weeks, one person writes, disorientation and doubt are gestational to faith. Disorientation and doubt are gestational to faith. Said another way, when things are tough and we're filled with doubt, it is part of the process of developing faith that will become mature and more mature over time. As St. Teresa of Avila put it, our struggles strengthen our weaknesses. Now I have to be honest, when I'm hurting and questioning, 
and feeling left out by God. It's not helpful for me if someone comes up to me and says, gee, Robert, I know you wonder where God is, but that's a really good thing. That's not what I want to hear in the midst of pain. That said, however, if I think about my lifelong relationship with Jesus, there is little to no doubt the depth of my relationship with Jesus has happened precisely because of what I've been through, even the dark nights of the soul. And while I don't invite heartache and the sense that God is absent, I am where I am and have the faith of I am that I have because of it all. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, God wants us to learn to walk, and therefore God must take away his hand. Now C.S. Lewis is not saying that God is mean, but God wants us to mature. And this is a little aside, which I think is really interesting to think about. C.S. Lewis goes on to write, in essence, that evil hates it when you and I feel God's absence. Because when we feel God's absence, we start asking where God is. And when we start asking where God is, over time, that will often lead us to God and a mature faith. Others, however, suggest dark nights of the soul happen because we have not dealt with sin in our lives or ongoing sin. And I find this idea both compelling and convicting. Sin simply means doing what we want when doing what we want is damaging to ourselves, others, and our relationship with God. Let's say, for example, I have a trouble with honesty and commitment. My actions reflect distortions of truth and lack of commitment to people, and as a result, my life begins to bear the consequences. Relationships don't last long. People begin not to trust me. I feel alone at times, maybe even empty. Maybe I start doing things to cover up the pain. I begin to feel isolated, and I begin to wonder where God is in the midst of it all. And is it not possible in this this example that feeling God's absence is not due to God, but due to the fact that I have worked hard to mess everything up? And what is needed most is for me to be honest with myself, others, and with God about the sins that got me into the mess to begin with. Now, I need to be clear, I'm not saying at all that dark nights of the soul are always our fault or due to some action or misaction or misdeed. I'm in no way saying that. But I do believe that sometimes God's absence might be more of a reflection of the deep distance we're feeling within ourselves because of our sin we have not been willing to come to terms with. King David being a prime example, he did some terrible things. He sinned, and it's during a particularly difficult period that David wrote these words, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Never mind, he committed adultery and then had some guy killed. How long will you forget me? Forever. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with the anguish in my heart? And I have to wonder, in thinking about these words, if some of what David was feeling was the disconnect with who God had called him to be. And of course, we sometimes endure terrible things and wonder where God is, not because of our sins, but because of the sins of others. Human beings, as we all know far too well, sometimes do the unspeakable, and such things can cause us to wonder why God let it happen or where God is. So I don't know an opportunity to grow and mature, our sin, the sins of others. These are some things that may be going on when God is absent, but there's one more 
I want to touch on, and maybe I'm touching on it because it's, we're commissioned to receive ministers today. It has to do with mental health. If not treated, depression and a large litany of other mental health issues caused by biology, life circumstances of both, can color what we think about God. It doesn't mean that we're bad in any way. It just means our struggle is getting in the way. And sometimes when we feel God is absent, it's because our mental health state is leading us to feel isolated, alone, and bereft. And God has given us, and this is why God has given us these life-saving medications, these life-saving therapies. Please get help if you need it. It's a way of responding, responding to these challenges we face. Sometimes what we think is a theological question, where on earth is God? is actually pointing us to something psychological that needs to be addressed. And sometimes I believe, and I've experienced this, when we feel God's absence, it really is God's presence and invitation to get help. So we have an idea, some idea, of some of the things that might be going on when dark nights are happening. We touch on some things to ponder about. And I'm going to get to what we can do about it next week. <laughs> but that said, <laughs> but that said, I'm not going to leave us totally hanging. I just, want to, I just want to give us, not you, us, me too, just some encouragement. We need each other desperately. I need you, you need me, we need each other. We need God desperately. We need this chapel. We really do, more than anything else in life. We were created to have deep, meaningful, transforming relationships with God and with each other. That's why we're here. The reason the chapel exists and the purpose of the chapel is love. I, I, I mean, I, I can add more billboards if you'd like. Love. <laughs> Remember, Jesus said all the law and all what the prophet said, it's all about love. love. We'll say it again. It's all about love. love. That's what the chapel is about. And when we are willing to need God and when we're willing to need each other and when we're willing to love, we are vulnerable as all get out. And there will be times for each one of us here today when things don't make sense or we are cut to the quick by something or someone. And when that happens, if you're in a dark night, do not go it alone. We have a chapel, we have each other, and most importantly, we have God. And Snowmass Chapel is a place of restoration and peace and truth and healing and discovery and hope. Also remember the point I made earlier. It's really critical because we can beat ourselves up. Remember that dark nights happen. They're normal. They're part of the deal. Our faith will be deepened. And we sometimes will need people to have faith on our behalf. Sometimes people need to trust on our behalf, pray on our behalf. And that's okay. Two more quick things. Also remember that truth is not dependent upon our emotions. Truth is truth regardless of what we feel. Two plus two is four. Doesn't matter how perplexing we find math to be. 
That truth is independent of our confusion. And the truth is God came to us in the flesh as Jesus. God showed us what life is all about. God died for us in the flesh on the cross. God overcame death, demonstrating we have nothing to fear in the end. And God is fully present with you and with me, regardless of what we are thinking or feeling. That truth is not dependent upon us. God's not dependent upon us for his existence. So I want to wrap up today with these excerpts from Psalm 139. Psalm 139, remember that. Go home, study it, immerse yourself in it. And here's some excerpts from Psalm 139 that I think are magnificent. Here's what the psalmist writes. O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me. You follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to begin to understand. I can never escape from your spirit, God. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, even if by... If I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you, God. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same. There's nowhere where God ain't, regardless of what we feel. Remember, there is no place where God is not, even when God seems so far away. God is always within you, always within me, always around us, even when all we hear is silence. Let us pray.